0: You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio, your source of off-road news and highlights. Welcome to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio. We have a kind of a twist on our normal episodes yes we're going to be going over some ultra endurance racing but we're going to be kind of staying focused on the bikepacking world now for 2016 we're going to kind of do a year in review and i was trying to figure out how to do this there's lots of races going on lots of races coming up lots of racers to talk about and who better to talk about this than our old friend neil belchenko Neil welcome to the last aid station Thanks Mark appreciate it so let's let's just dive right into it um, yeah. you used to do a very regular podcast here on mountain bike radio and over there kind of things led one direction or another bike packer uh, magazine and then you've kind of been a little bit absent on the podcast world you've had some changes on the bike packer magazine side of things so kind of explain what's been going on with you recently.
1: Yeah. So basically, um, I've been busy, um, dealing with, well, ever since really, I think our last real episode was last fall. Um, so maybe a year or so now, maybe even last summer, but I've been busy with racing, busy with, you know, keeping up with the operations of, um, our website, which is now bikepacker.com. Um, so we've gone through a, a whole new rebrand, um, new URL change. And with that, there's a lot more involved than just like swapping over content and swapping over the URLs and calling it good. There was just a lot of behind-the-scenes things, which quite the learning experience for us. Um, But, yeah, it was great. And so now we're bikepacker.com, got a new logo, everything, and I think the website looks great, new theme. Um, so, yeah, I've been busy doing that and then obviously busy racing my bike and uh, trying to train and and then also have a regular life on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, I, we've had
0: you on before. Actually, mm-hmm. it was 2014. That was a while time. ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you were actually predicting um, – at the time, we brought you on to predict uh, how the Tour de Vive for 2014 was going to roll out. And you were like, "Man, well, I might be doing – Tour Divide in 2015, maybe, yep. and um, that went exceedingly well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've kind of really come to the front now um, as one of the top finishers in many of these races which actually gives you a unique perspective for some of the races we're going to talk about because not only mm-hmm. do you know how these races happened at the front um, as you were in them but you also have a, a rapport and relationship with many of the other guys for the races that you don't do but you understand many of these routes and so you're actually the perfect person to talk about a lot of the races for 2016 how they went down con- race conditions and things like that so
1: thank you very much for joining us yeah, absolutely. I look forward to uh to chatting about all these these uh amazing athletes. Um and also listeners,
0: we're also gonna we're gonna talk about some races up front, and then we're gonna talk about some racers. Then we're also gonna talk about just um, a conversation of the growth of the sport, specifically talking more about the bike pack racing scene, not just bikepacking mm-hmm. in general, but more the racing thing. We're we're a race-centric kind of podcast, and we're gonna just kind of go through how stuff is evolving and and some of the unique things and changes that are happening within the sport, but let's just dive straight into some of these races, talking straight right off the bat about the triple crown of bike packing or i'm not even sure who coined that term, but of course it's the Arizona Trail, the Tour Divide, and the Colorado trail race this is This is like v races um, and it's very difficult to do all three because they kind of go one right after the other um, with. Yeah. Uh, Arizona trail and CTR for most people being about a week long or so. Um, Then of course the tour divide 14 days if you're winning the thing, but in general, you're looking at two and a half weeks at a minimum. How difficult is it to actually try to compete in all three?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the, (laughs) that is the difficult thing. So you can do the Arizona trail and rest up in time um, for the tour divide but the 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 hard part is during the tour divide and then And then you have basically all right. So the tour divide starts uh, the second f- Friday in June and the um, The Colorado Trail Race starts typically the one of the last weekends last Sunday in July So say you take like 20 days in June It's just yeah, your 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 body's not gonna be able to recover in time Um, so that's, that's the, that's the difficult thing. Um, (laughs) and to rewind it back to the triple crown, we could have a whole conversation on this. Um, but I forget exactly who coined the term, but, um, it's been up on bikepacking.net, the first, uh, bikepacking website out there that, that, you know, Scott Morris, um, Mm -hmm. started it a long time ago and all the bikepacking forums. And they have, or he has a specific, specific webpage for this. And it shares like all of the all of the um, the lifetime triple crown finishers, which is like you can do the Arizona Trail one year, the Tour Divide one year, and the Colorado Trail Race one year. Or it also shows like the triple crown um, doing it all in one year and like the uh, the records for that. So that's right. kind of a cool um, cool link to visit if you're if you're interested. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's not only are you going to be extremely burnt out after doing something like that. Um, but it's just super physically demanding on your body. Right. And you'll probably be f- fired from your job. <laughs> and, and you need the time. off. Right. We, yeah, I mean, yeah. bike packers don't have a ton of money. Um, yeah. Most of us. So yeah, that's, it's just, it's tough.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a very unique, I guess it's, you, you have to be in a very unique spot in your life, let alone to do the tour divide, um, you know, where you're going to need to take off essentially, At least three weeks, if not a month of from from work or even from communication, any kind of substantial communication with loved ones and work and things like that. But to add those other two, which are at least week long um, endeavors, man, it just throws a whole monkey wrench into into a whole year um, about how things are going to happen.
1: Um, yeah, exactly.
0: and this isn't like, this isn't, you know, bikepacking is a much more, um, probably a slightly more, much more actually expensive sport than say, um, someone who wants to do the Appalachian trail for the, for three or four or five months of, of the year, because you know, you've got much more equipment that could potentially break much more, um, you know, much more startup to start and it's much more expensive to buy, um, a, a decent Bicycle for this than it is Mm -hmm. to just go out and buy a, uh, you know, a backpack and some good shoes. Right. uh,
1: Not to mention all the food you buy along the way. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Which is probably the same with, you know, backpacking, but it gets out of hand sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's a different way of looking at it. I mean, there's a lot of crossover between the two. I mean, obviously you're looking for the lightest gear you can find. That's very similar. Um, you're looking for um, the most comfortable clothing you can have. That's very similar. Um, but you know, the bikepackers also tend to, grab anything they can to eat. Whereas I think backpackers are more, um, you know, sticking more to what is typically backpacker food, um, right. that they can eat while walking and things like that versus, you know, getting off trail and hitting the uh, local Seven Eleven for a, a burrito, Yeah, uh, which is, which in my mind is Bike packing. Um, yes. So, But let's talk. <laughs> That's part yep. of it. Let's start um, right up front um, with the Arizona Trail Race. Um, so there's 350 and 750 mile distances. Um, the 750 okay. includes, um, probably at least in looking at the profile, seems to ha- include a very difficult last section, um, includes 200 miles above. So there's quite a bit of altitude there um yeah, includes sixty five thousand feet of elevation change with the majority of it coming in those last uh two hundred miles and it of mm-hmm. course includes um the Grand Canyon hike with just about what a little over a hundred miles remaining um thirty miles of through the middle of the Grand Canyon carrying your bike on your back you you know you can't even push your bike, you have to carry it amazing performance this year by the guy that did it um fastest known time
1: and that was yourself yeah um can i still can't believe it
0: yeah so tell us how that race went down because you guys start with the 300 or very close to the 300 mile guys that start at the same like from the same location
1: so we uh, what is it i think we start the 750 starts at the border and then the 300 mile version starts at Parker Canyon Lake which is I think it's like 10 15 miles away north oh. of the border. Okay. Um so this year it was kind of interesting because they they staggered it by an hour. So the 750 started at like 6 and then the 300 mile version started at 7. So when we got to Parker Canyon Lake, um there everybody was gone. Um so they, it was like, I think I got there at like 7.15 or something like that. It wasn't too, too much later. Mm-hmm. Um But that's how, that's how the start works. It's, it's a little confusing, but um it really, it helps spread things out and, um and stagger the two, the two races. Okay.
0: Um And once you start catching up to these guys, I'd imagine it kind of all works out that pretty soon you're in groups of everybody going the same speed, regardless of the distance
1: there. Yeah, so I was I ended up me and a few other 750 riders uh, caught up to basically the lead 300 riders through the Canelos, which is like the main um, or like the first like 30 miles, really difficult, chunky riding in southern Arizona. Um, And then basically, yeah, we're just kind of intertwined after that. You know, once we get to this town called Patagonia you get on a highway to another town and it's just like, it's like everybody's in the same race basically. Okay. Um,
0: And who was with you through the, the early parts of the race? Once everything had kind of shaken out and you know, you're into the first say hundred miles of this race.
1: Yeah. So I was with basically like the first, before I even hit Parker Canyon Lake, I was with Joe Grant um, and uh, Calvin Decker and those two, I basically rode with those two, kind of on and off for like the first hundred miles. And then I also was riding with um, Neil Stitzer and Hunter Keating. And those two were like the leaders of the 300 mile version. Um, I actually crossed paths with Hunter probably the most. I think he was leading the 300 mile version and I was leading the 750. So like the first like 300 miles, I was like leapfrogging him a lot. Okay. Um, And when did it finally start to kind of break apart? Um, you know, it always kind of breaks apart through the first night. Um, you know, you get varied s- sleep times by people. And so my goal was for the first night was like, you know, sleep hardly at all. Um, so I, I think I laid down for an hour and I was so anxious. I, I probably only slept like 45 minutes and it wasn't even that great of sleep. You know, I was just kind of up and tossing and turning because I was worried that people were going to pass me. Um, and that was fine. Like people did pass me. I, 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 uh, I planned on sleeping next to a water spigot so I could, you know, be fully hydrated, but like, you know, the further you go on, uh, on, on course, the more spread out it gets. Right. Um, so after, or starting at day two, um, I didn't see Calvin Decker or, um, or Joe Grant the rest of the time. And so the only two I was actually, um, racing with was Neil Stitzer and Hunter Keating from the 300 mile version. Um, and I leapfrogged them a a bunch. I slept and they didn't sleep. They didn't sleep like the whole 300 mile version. And so that was kind of a eye opener. Uh, and I slept like the, the, my second night, I think I slept three hours or something like that. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then in the Gila Canyon, um, right. I forget what town it's called. Kelvin, I think. Something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on the Gila river, which is, I think like roughly mile two twenty. 20. I ran into Neil Stitzer and Hunter Keating and I was like, what are they? I was kind of confused on what they were doing. And they were just like, they were sitting around. I think Neil was trying to take a nap. Um, and I felt great. And I was like, all right, I might be able to actually win this 300 mile version. Um, and, Apparently Neil was on my heels like the whole time through Martinez Canyon which is like this last climb up the 300 mile version and luckily I pulled it out and um and I think he came in like an hour after me. Okay. Um given the terrain there especially
0: I mean there's a there's a that big huge climb in the first section um in the 300 mile Yeah, they Mount Lemon. Yep. Right. Does are you able to see miles and miles behind you to actually see these guys? I mean, given that the much of the train is um, relatively rolling or long climbs where you can see down into the valleys, are are you able to see these guys, or are you just looking at time checks, post race to figure that stuff out?
1: That's that Mount Lemon climb is probably the one time you could actually see people because, to be honest, you know most of the trails single track, um, which really hides, you know. It, you know, you go over hills and you can't see anybody. Right. Um, but Mount Lemon, it's I think it's like a twenty mile climb um, with a pretty steep grade, and there's like a bunch of switchbacks, so you can like look down the mountain. Okay. And and like maybe see people. And I kept doing that when I was climbing it, and I didn't see anybody. Um, but I would, I yeah, I would always look okay. down. But yeah, that would be probably the only circumstance where I could see anybody and then maybe up north on some, you know, some roads or, or, um, you know, straight sections. Okay. Did you even stop at the, the finish area for the 300 mile or did you just roll right on through it? I used the uh, toilet there and then I got, I got <laughs> out. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't see it. I, it was, there was a bunch of people. Uh, I think Neil's dad, um, Neil Stitzer's dad was there and, maybe some other fans, I think Hunter Keating fans or something like that. And they were kind of confused at like me being first. They're like, did you win or no? And I was like, I don't know. I don't care. I have a lot more race to do and I've got to keep going. (laughs) Right. So that was that. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: didn't stay long rolling ahead. I mean, I'd imagine at that point with the majority of the people you've been riding with now done um, after 300 miles, um, you were riding long, Miles by yourself, nothing in front, nothing behind you. Yeah, uh, and when yeah. you hit the what? What was your? I guess your
1: technique for the Grand Canyon navigation. Um. Yeah. So at that point, you know, after the three hundred, I was completely by myself for the rest of the race. I knew that um, uh, Joe Grant was probably. I, I think I got like a day lead on him. Uh, maybe a little bit more than a day lead by the time I hit the Grand Canyon. Um, and yeah, my goal was to just knock it out. I got there at, I think I dropped in at like 7 PM. So I knew I was going to be doing it all at night basically. And my goal was just to like, you know, knock it out, not sleep. Um, and so I, you know, it's like seven miles down, seven miles in and then seven Seven miles up. up. Right. Yeah. Um, and I got the seven miles down to Phantom Ranch And I was just so exhausted. Like my body was, walking is a completely different thing than riding your bike. You know, it's like riding your bike, you can, you have a little bit of energy, but walking, you're just like melancholy and tired and bored and, Mm -hmm. and not to mention a 50 pound bike on your back. It's just, it sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I got down to Phantom Ranch and I took an, an hour nap there next to the water spigot and then from there, I woke up and just pounded out the rest of it. It just took forever. I think it took me 16 hours or something like that, which is actually really fast. But um, at the time, it did not seem that way <laughs> <laughs> at all.
0: Um, so you climb back up, you get back on the bike. What well, you have just over 100 miles to go,
1: I think, when you exit the canyon. Is that about right? Uh, maybe a little bit less. I'm not okay. even ch- double. I, I, I'm not sure exactly. Um, but that, so uh, after the Canyon, so you get to the North Rim and it's just like, it's snowy. There's a ton of snow up there. It's freezing cold <laughs> compared to what you've been dealing with. Like the Grand Canyon is warm in there. It's, yeah. I was surprised how hot it, how it got in there. Um, but yeah, so basically after, after the Canyon, um, straps your, or unstrapped my, you know, my bike to, from my back and put it back together and um and so there's so much snow up there the actual arizona trail is under snow so we take a detour on um on this basically this like paved road which is kind of a nice change and so yeah from there i think i think we go to uh jacob lake it's just like this town um with like one little store And it's fast from there to that, from the North Rim to Jacob Lake. And then from there, from Jacob Lake to the Utah, Arizona border, it's like, I think it's like 30 or 25 miles of single track. Um, Yeah. So it's a little bit more difficult after, after Jacob Lake. Sweet. So what was your, your time?
0: Six, 12, I believe.
1: Yeah. Six days, 12 hours, hours. 20, like 30 minutes or something like that. Okay. Um, Yeah. That's, um, which, which was, I think. Let me look up what Russ Snyder's time was. I really did not have like any intent on breaking any records, but um, that was always like it always crossed my mind. But if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be like totally upset. So his time was seven days, six hours, thirty-five minutes. Okay, and Detail. that was back in two thousand and ten. Okay. So he held the record for a very long time. Yeah.
0: And and interestingly, I mean, as as we go over all of these, you know, fastest known times or records or whatever, um, the longer these races go, the more I, in my mind, I think it's kind of hard to compare year to year only because the conditions can totally change.
1: I agree. um, You know, a a certain year, like if you got freezing cold temperatures, um, snow. Right. Riding the Tour Divide, um,
0: you know, 2,700 miles or more in rainy conditions is
1: totally different than riding it in fast yep conditions, totally agree you know or you know not wet conditions so yeah the guys were, the guys behind me um especially like towards the end of the pack like they got snowed on like crazy um had to you know stay in a hotel cuz it was like freezing cold and i had like i couldn't i can't even explain the weather window i had it was perfect great
0: well, congrats on, on that win. Let's, let's move on to, um, the tour divide, uh, yeah. the granddaddy of them all. Um, mm-hmm. traditionally, this is 2750, give or take. Yep. Um, mostly, mostly gravel, uh, unimproved roads kind of stuff mm-hmm. with some paved parts. Yep. So this year, quite an impressive performance from Mike Hall. Of course, he'd taken last year off to do, the road race, um, across yeah, Trans Am. Uh, um, yeah. and this year comes back, um, feeling that he had left something on the table. I think I'd seen an interview where he had said that, you know, like after the 2012 or after 2014, he felt that, you know, there's definitely ways he could make it faster. Um, yeah. and so he, he goes, he's the first person to go under 14 days. Um, yeah. what did you see with, um, that performance? I mean, did you see, I mean, as, as you are, um, like someone that could compete against him, um, I'm not sure if you ever actually have gone like head to head, so to speak, in a race. I haven't, no. Um, so what did you see with ways, things he was doing, things that he maybe does all the time or things maybe he did differently, um, for this year's race?
1: Um, so I don't know Mike all that well. We've spoke and drank some beers together, um, at the Inspired to Ride, um, premiere in Denver a few years back. But Mike is very meticulous. He has, he definitely followed some uh, some cues this year, you know, he followed, um, or not cues, splits from a number of different people that like, he basically put down on paper like what the fastest time ever was in, a, you know, from this town to this town. And he was like, I need to beat every single split in order to break this record. And I think that's what he did. I, I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, we did an interview on Bikepacker.com with him, and I would have to go back to that. But it was it, it had a ton of awesome info on it. But I still don't think he like gave away all of his secrets. Um, but you could tell like he was super disciplined on a sleep schedule, his stop times in towns. Um, it was pretty incredible to watch. And he was basically ahead of all the records out there and uh, not to mention, obviously he had just like t- uh, 2015 uh, 2016 was really good weather. As long as you were super, super fast up front um, and he was just, you know, it was just incredible. Right. So yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he was just my call. Yeah. Typical my call, just knowing what he needs to get done and, and doing it. He's, he's a, uh, he's a veteran.
0: And he, he seems to come from like a, I mean, this is the outside looking in, but he seems to come from like a different spot than your traditional bikepacker, only from the standpoint that he comes across more like an uh, ultra athlete. Like he doesn't care what kind, uh, if it's mountain, if it's road, if it's whatever. It doesn't mm-hmm. make that much of a difference to him. Um, whereas a lot of guys on the, on the bikepacking thing are more, mountain bike centric. Um, and yeah, he, he's just looking for the challenge and he doesn't care as long as it's got two wheels and a lot of miles, he really doesn't care what it is. And it's just a different, it's interesting to have a different type of personality perspective, challenging what has always been there.
1: And that's kind of, yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah, no, he's all about it. He knows how to, he knows how to uh, handle the pain too. That's something that everybody up front understands and maybe not a ton of people in the back of the pack do, but it is uh, it's extremely extremely painful yeah. I do yeah. want to give a huge shout out um, the single speed uh, yes Chris Plesko. The single speed, yeah. yeah Chris Plesco yeah. um, for doing that he he held the record for I don't know how long for the single speed and he's like all right nobody's broken it yet so I got to go back and uh, and shave some time off and he did a really good job of that
0: yeah um, actually stayed stayed. I mean, he was, yeah, he
1: was like a day a day and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Behind Mike yeah. on a single speed. A single that speed. is super impressive. So yeah. big props to him for sure. It was, it was a fun year to watch. Um, it's different.
0: You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, people are like, well, single speed I've, you know, I've, I've raced against guys in endurance events and they're on single speeds and they can go almost as fast, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. it's totally different when you've got, when you've added, um, another an additional 30 pounds onto your bike with um, gear and equipment and everything else in that you yeah. are still stuck with it with single gear. You're not going to shift. So, no. you know, hike a bike's become longer, hike a bike's become harder. Um, you're hiking a lot more than you would if you had the choice to put it into an easier gear. And so it's it's a whole different mindset from your typical single speed, you know, choosing single speed gearing for just a an
1: endurance event. Yeah. And actually the guy that took third, Kevin Jacobson, he was on a single speed as well. Wow. Which is impressive. impressive. 16 days. And then, yeah. So my call finished in 13 days, 22 hours, 50 minutes, which is going to be really hard to break, especially if you have weather and then Chris Plesko, 15 days, eight hours on the button. And then um, Kevin with 16 days on the button. So. And looking back on the, on the
0: weather for this year, pretty, pretty pristine. I mean, there's really not a whole lot of changes you could make.
1: There was like a little, yeah, there was like a little wind, um, and rain up North. I think Mike missed all of that. Um, and I think he dealt with a little bit of wind in and around Butte. There was like a storm going through North of them and, and they, they were just seeing wind, but no precipitation. So I think he dealt with a, a little bit of headwinds, but, um, yeah, it was, Smooth sailing as far as weather was concerned for, for most or for the leaders.
0: Okay. With moving on to the Colorado Trail Race. So this had some, um, an interesting take from your perspective. Um, yeah. <laughs> um Colorado Trail Race, 500 miles, about 70,000 feet of climbing, but much of it is raced at altitude, including some, some, some sustained stuff that's above 10,000 feet for, 20 miles 25 miles um and then high points of the race are up to and over and not and when i say high points i'm not talking just one i'm talking several above 12,000 feet um it's this one this race has always been kind of a bear for competitors it's um not always a nice trail to ride there are sections that really beat you up um it frustrates riders in spots and Weather, especially at those altitudes, um, can be very or unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. And, and scary and dangerous. Um, you know, yeah. especially across those really high points of the race where stuff moves in and the electrical storms are crazy. Um, yep. so in some years, this race is ridden west to east. I believe that's in odd years. Um, and some years it's east to west, which is like, uh, this year, um, Durango yep. and Denver being the two, Endpoints. coming into this race i remember seeing a lot of articles about this race and the question was whether a certain mr belchenko could break the 2012 hefe Branham east to west record mm-hmm. um, or potentially break the fastest known time by jesse of all time which he actually set West last year. East. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Three days, 20 hours. So you're definitely gonna have to go under four days. Um, so let's, yeah. how did that start go? Let's talk about that first opening 30 miles, which is where the most, imp- I think the most impressive part of this and, um, maybe the, the mindset of somebody who does this all the time is different from somebody who does it the first time.
1: Yeah. um, Golly, that really so. So yeah, so basically the race started and I was feeling great. Um, I was out in front with uh, Ben Parman, who, um, who's a really really strong rider. And but this was definitely, I think this was his maybe his first jump into a bike packing event. Anyways, okay. yeah, so like got through segment one um which is from basically from denver to waterton or from denver to um the platte river and then segment two starts out out of the platte you climb up and there's just like a bunch of switchbacks um you go through buffalo creek there's like this big burn zone there but yeah the first uh the like one of the first switchbacks ben catches me and i'm like all right yeah this is pretty normal um but I like stumble and I'm, I'm hiking my bike literally at this point because it's, it's just, uh, it was like a really tight switchback. It's just, you can maybe do it, but there's no sense in wasting energy that early. So I stumble and basically my bike falls down the hill onto a rock and I just see something fling up right away and I'm like, Oh my God! My heart uh, like sunk. It was it was a horrible, horrible feeling, um, and I knew my shifter hit the rock, and I saw something fly up. So I pick up the bike and I assess, and sure enough, my thumb shifter to shift down in my in you know to shift down in the gear just broke. It was a carbon thumb shifter, and. Yeah. And so basically at this point, I cannot shift my bike at all. I was basically stuck to the gear I had. And if I shifted to a higher or a lower gear, then it would be way more difficult to move, um, to manually move this. Like, I don't know if you understand like these, the shifters, but it's like a, um, like a circular piece with, with like a, the thumb shifter that's connected to it. Right. And I was trying to like, I didn't have the thumb shifter anymore. I was trying to just turn the piece with my hand, but I, there's no leverage. Right. Um, so I couldn't do anything. I was, I was literally yeah, it's, actually, it's actually amazing how much um,
0: pressure you need to apply to that when you don't have the lever. And yep. I mean that lever from like a physics, not like a, but I mean, right. like have the leverage um, to do that, even though it, you wouldn't think your thumb is that strong. It's because of that, how extended that is off of the, the radius of the spool there. Um, Right. Exactly. Yeah. You break that off. I mean, I can't imagine what, what else you could do other than, you know, pulling the cable by hand. Like if, if it was exposed on a down tube or
1: something like that. Um, Yeah. And I was thinking about all those options and I was like, do I really want to deal with this until basically until Leadville and do I want to just limp along or do I want to restart? And my whole, like, I'm not like much of an ITT guy. I really don't, um, I, w- I want to be a part of the race. That's my, you know, when I, when I sign up for doing these events, I want to be a part of the race because I want to race, you know, I don't want to just like yeah. ride yes. and ride against myself. I want to compete. But at this point, I really had to make that tough decision to pull the plug at like mile twenty or something, twenty-five, um, and hitch back to Denver and get that piece replaced, and then start the next day. And so that was basically what I did. That that was my decision, and I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you go back, you get the get the
0: part fixed, which yep, pedal Littleton. Look, look I mean, right, right. Which you know, in Denver. You know, yeah, every corner has something, somebody that can fix that.
1: I yeah. Know. I knew exactly I was going to yeah. pedal though just because yeah. um, I know Andrew and he's awesome and yeah. they're, I just they're mean, super supportive. I
0: mean, it from a standpoint of this, you're not coming into um, some little town with a, you know, a 1950s gas station. You're right. You're back in Denver, you know, which yeah, is exactly a very yeah.
1: cycling centric town. So, and even if that happened in Durango, I'd, I'd probably be fine as well.
0: Yeah. Um. So you, you restart, um, you immediately reset yourself as a ITT and mm-hmm. then start the next morning, 24 hours from when you started the first time, um, and start just riding through the pack. How long was it before you started al- already encountering people that were, that had started with you
1: 24 hours earlier? Um, so the first person I encountered was in the Heyman burn zone on the, uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, one of the the first detour, um, and they were like way, they were way, way far away from like the main pack of racers. Okay. Um, the first like racers I actually started encountering were, um, somewhere around, um, Georgia pass area. Um, But honestly, to rewind a little bit, that was probably one of the more trying days on a bike because A, the motivation really wasn't there. I was a little fatigued and I kind of wanted to like race people, but I know I was racing on my own. So I I just had to completely like clean the slate and have, you know, a different mindset on what, what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got to Georgia pass and I had a little bit of a breakdown, um, and I, ha- I have a video of that as well. Yeah. I didn't cry, but I was about to. I was like, what the heck am I doing right now? This is just like, this is, ITT is tough. It's just bottom line. It's just tough. Yeah. Um, but then I got to, I started picking people off, like descending Georgia Pass. I think I saw some people starting to sleep. Um, and then I got to Copper Mountain probably around 2 a.m. And I probably passed like 20 people and then I laid down for an hour of sleep and uh, and felt pretty accomplished for that day. Cool. Yeah. Um, when did you start – were there were – I know you're
0: always, obviously already passing through. But when did you start moving back up to the front of the people that had started the day before that you thought were going to be your competition
1: having started 24 hours earlier? Um, when I saw Garrett Alexander up on uh, – pretty close to highway 50 by Monarch, uh, or by uh, Foose's trail. I was like, all right, this is the start of the, the leading pack. Um, uh, Garrett's a good friend of mine. And, um, we actually ended up, he, I, he slept on top of this, this kind of this like hill, which, um, which I actually ended up sleeping up there too, because it was just a little bit warmer than, you know, the Valley floors with the inversion the cold air sinking. Um, so I slept kind of right next to him. I was pretty excited to see him. And then I woke up an hour later from my sleep and just started climbing. And I think who was the next person I saw, you know, I actually didn't really see anybody. I was just like right behind everybody that day. Um, And then that night, I think I passed some more people. So that would have been the third evening. Okay. Yeah. So at this point it's gotta be, you've got to realize
0: that if I'm passing this many people, I know I'm, I'm kind of, I'm moving faster than it's got to be a positive sign, you know, I'm moving fast and you know, maybe this, did you have markers, um, like time checks that you knew that you would have to hit to break the record or it was just kind of, I'm going to ride this as hard
1: as I can and see what happens. Yeah, that's basically it. I don't ever really make splits or anything like that. Um, I just ride my own ride and, hope for the best. And um, basically, once I got to Silverton, I think I was only behind Ben Parman and Hefe. Yeah. And at that point, I got on my Facebook and everybody was like, dude, you can catch them I was like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. Like I, yeah, I was just like, I felt the love from everybody. And it was kind of cool to, to see and and basically, my goal was just to ride. And and I, after I left Silverton, I was like, all right, there's a slight chance I could beat Jesse's time, but I know the last like forty miles are like the toughest part of that race, and it's gonna be all at at night. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's different now than it would have been,
0: say. Five years ago, um, you know, especially now with you know, everyone having cell phones and Facebook, and yeah, you know, people, you know, pe- it's hard to avoid, yeah, yeah, where it's not a surprise. Like, Hefe probably wasn't surprised, uh, to find that you had catching him and reeling him in a bit,
1: yeah. I think this was actually the first race that Hefe ever used a cell phone, and um, okay, but you know, he probably would have heard about it if he didn't, right? Just like through, yeah, you know, people, people, yeah, people on the trail and stuff, yeah. yeah. Okay. But um so what was yeah. your final time? So my final time oh boy, it was 3 days, 19 hours and I think like 50 minutes or something like that. Yeah. So it was, I think it was just like an hour yes. um under Jesse's Jesse's time, yep. Jesse's time yep. from the previous year. And the only um so I passed Ben on basically the climb up to Indian Trail Ridge, one of the highlights of the San Juans. And um, and we had a good conversation and he was like, dude, this is, he was like, this is the most incredible experience I've ever had on a bike. And that, that kind of sums up what bikepacking is and definitely what bikepack racing is, especially going over 500 miles in four days and you're sleep deprived and you're tired and you're sore, your butt hurts. It's pretty incredible to hear this. Ben talk about it and he was a rookie this year and it, it just kind of reminded me of how awesome this race was. And then I was like, all right, Ben, I got to go. I've got a re- record to, uh, to yeah. potentially beat. And then half finished before me, which was great. So he actually won the race. I think, um, I forget the exact time, four right. days and change or four actually is pretty close to five days. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a great, great, great year. <laughs> yeah. In Colorado Trail. Moving on to something that I know you
0: didn't compete in, and I don't even know if you have a desire to compete in it. Um, the ITI, um, so the Iterod Trail Invitational. Um, of course, this race has been around. It's had different names over the years and different iterations. I think like, uh, oh, God, I can't remember some of the names. Um, I did it's kind a bike. Of hard to follow. Yeah, I did a bike. And yeah. then it's separated, and then it. There are two races running. Anyhow, um, it pretty much follows the Iditarod Trail. Um, Nick Denom about a thousand miles. There's also a 350 mile option, um, and there's other people. There's other races that go on concurrently. I mean, there's a you can do it on skis, you can do it on foot. Yeah. Um, and then the of course the sled dog race occurs. I think I think two weeks a later. Week after. Yeah. Two week weeks after. Two it? weeks after. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um. And this is one of those races um, that is definitely one that is completely weather dependent. Um, oh, yeah. The 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 year that the race record was set, um, I think it was Jeff Oatley who holds the record. I mean, there was like literally it was a low snow year, so he was just riding on dirt and so yeah. very fast. With the exception that sometimes those warm temperatures actually cause issues because you can't ride across some of the rivers. Um, and you have to find crossing points and things like that. Um, but this year, I mean, it, it Oatly has, has ruled this race for, well, the last three years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you saw unique this year? I mean, this is worth going way back to now, what, end of February in 2016.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, I, I haven't, um, I'm trying to look up the times of this year's 1000 mile version right. cuz I don't think Oatley raced the 1000 mile version this year. No, I think he, I, I think
0: you're right. I think he went to the 350 this year.
1: 350, him yeah. and JP Devereaux did yeah. the 350, I believe. Yeah. Um but yeah, so so basically the 350 that's like the precursor to the 1000 mile version and right. in order to do the 3 fi- or the 1000 you have to qualify for the 350 um and i'm actually i I've, I've signed up for it and i'm qualified for it last year so i'm doing it this year i'm doing the 350 okay um but yeah i i have no idea what to expect the only thing i know is i i know how to ride on snow a little bit and uh and that's about it <laughs> And it is – but this is one of those races – man, this is
0: remote. I mean, this is – this isn't yep. a phone call away from an extraction. I mean, like literally some of the decisions you make could potentially kill you. Yep. Um, uh, not only from um, the the weather conditions and the extremes, um, but the uh, – the wildlife, the, I mean, there's so many things that that could potentially go wrong in this race. And this, yeah. this brings up a whole different thing of the, it's really not a, as much a race, but who can do the adventure the fastest. Um, um, and surviving is the first part
1: of doing really well in this race. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Yeah. The th- that They have this on their website, the thousand mile version, only 60 individuals have ever finished right. um, the race to gnome. And thirty nine of them are are cyclists. Yeah, um, which is yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. There are people
0: that have done this race on foot, or at least attempted it on yeah. foot, running or walking in snowshoes. Ah, I mean, skiing is one thing, but man, doing it uh, on foot, you've got to realize that. You could do it on a bike and realize that you can go to the next checkpoint and get a nice warm place to sleep for the night. Um, mm-hmm. You're walking. You're definitely going to be spending
1: some nights outdoors in Alaska in February. Yep, uh, no doubt. So. Yeah, it looks like J.P. DeVarys had three finishes on the route, which is really impressive. Yeah. And then there's a few people that I'm not familiar with, and I don't think they're cyclists. Uh, but then, like, Mike Kiriak has two finishes. Um Pete Bassinger has two finishes, right. and then Jeff Oatley has two finishes and the record. But I actually I feel like Jeff and Jay tied for the record that one year. Um well the one year that that Jeff set
0: the record, I think that was twenty is that twenty fourteen that says he has the record?
1: Yeah, twenty fourteen. Uh, yeah. That was, well, was that, that the year that that was the year f- that had
0: really, really, really like zero snow conditions. Um right. and it was fast. I mean he cut he cut days off the
1: record. Um, right, right. So, yeah. 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 I mean, cause yeah, I think that the previous record was like 15 days or yeah, like 17 yeah, days yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think Jay, Jay still holds the record for like the Southern route. So there's like a Northern route where it splits off.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then the Southern route. And I think Jay still has a Southern route record, which is like 17 days. So, yeah. um, but yeah, as far as like the 350, that's kind of like the, 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 the big competition race. And, um, and in 2015, I think, uh, was the fast year. What do I, John Lackey has that has that record one day, 18 hours, 32 minutes, Yeah, uh, which is pretty fast for 350 miles. And then Heather Best has that record for the women for two days, eight hours and nine minutes. Um, and I guess the, the times this year weren't that far behind for 2016. Tim Bernstein, one day, 23 hours, 45 minutes. And then Heather Best again won this year. She's a beast. Uh, two days, nine hours, and fifty-seven minutes. And Heather and Jeff, um, they're partners, so they're uh, they're a power couple. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the Peter <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, and they go head to head all the time up there, which is
0: interesting um moving on to like uh some other races and you know we've kind of covered the the big 3 big 4 of at least bike packing um the big adventure races i call these the younger brother races or <laughs> um as we were discussing before uh we started uh, recording i call these the the races to do when you have a job um, <laughs>
1: um exactly let's
0: talk about uh the three that really in my head, like, seem to have a lot of presence and um, races that are really growing in popularity because, like I said, and you can train for these reasonably, um, and you can take a, you know, five, six days off of work and be able to complete the route. Um, the snow, uh, the smoke and fire race, uh, 400 miles. Um, the Trans North Georgia, um, which is 350 or so miles, but um, definitely a climber special with 65,000 feet of climbing. And then um, the Stagecoach 400 out of Idawild, California. Um, all three of those have kind of changed over the years, like just slightly different routes. Um,
1: mm-hmm. but, uh, what, what can you tell me about the smoke and fire race? Yeah. Well, first, I think all of these races are really popular for some reason or another. And I think it's great. These are probably the most popular races aside from the Triple Crown, um, races. Smoke and fire this year had a ton of wildfire issues. So I think it was like the smoke and fire, I think it was longer, uh, but it could have been slightly easier. I'm not exactly sure on that. Um, But yeah, I mean, smoke and fire, that gives you a... a, a Norb, who has created the route, I think, um, realizes how many issues they've had up there with, with fires. and. To be honest, um, when I did the route last year, I didn't do that route. I did the Idaho Hot Springs route, which is a part of a lot of the smoke and fire route. And okay. I was dealing with fires up there. And it's awesome terrain. It's stunning, beautiful. But, yeah, um, it's tough. It's it's not easy riding. But for the majority, it's, you know, it's all uh, dirt roads or, um, you know, well-graded uh, gravel. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd, I've been wanting to go up there for a few years now. It's a, uh, it's definitely like kind of one
0: that's kind of grown pretty quick recently.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think three years now.
0: Yeah. Three years, but it, it's moved from just like kind of a, a gathering of guys that have come up with a route to, you know, now like it's, it's something that people actually target um, in their race yeah. calendar, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Rebecca
1: Rash has done yeah. it. Um, and I think she has a woman's record on it. And then Sam Harney has a men's record um, with a day, one day, eighteen hours and fifty six minutes. So that kind of shows you, like, yeah, it's a weekend race, but it's still, you know, it's still going to take you a while. Right on the bike a lot, and I don't think he slept at all during that that time.
0: Yeah. Moving on to the Stagecoach Four Hundred. Um, this is out of Idawild. California, um, across the foothills into the mountains into Southern California. Um, it's pretty much a to San Diego and back. But over recent years, it used to be almost a down and back, almost a you know like a lollipop type course. But it's they've continued to add more single track on the return leg, and so the return leg is different from the um, outbound leg, and so it's actually becoming more of a loop. Kind of run by Brendan Collier, um, who yep. used to be the owner of Siren Bicycles. Um, mm-hmm. custom, custom frames and things like that. And now is owner of Hub Cyclery. And so it actually starts right there, downtown Idawild. Um, it's a very interesting race and, um, the route keeps changing. It's, um, almost something that you can do with, um, very little sleep. Um, but mm-hmm. the weird thing about it is, is that you have to kind of time your sleep because the, the midway point is downtown San Diego where you actually literally run Right down it's past crazy. right down past the marina into an urban area. Um and so you don't want to time your sleep to having to sleep in downtown San Diego. <laughs> um
1: exactly. uh, it's probably
0: not gonna end well. Um but uh so it's it's an interesting race. It certainly has all the remoteness of, you know, some of those mountain areas outside in the Southern California, you know, the wooded areas, and then you literally you race right down into an urban area and then back out.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think, I think the unique part of this race and I've done, I did it in 2015, I believe. Um, but yeah, you start in the mountains outside of San Diego and it's cold. It's, it could snow. It snowed at the beginning of the races. Um, a few years before I did it. Uh, it can be, yeah, it can be brutal. And then you go down to the desert, um, outside of San Diego. I forget what it's called at the time. Um, uh, but yeah, and then you go down into San Diego, you've got this coastal climate. So you deal with these cold, hot, and then, you know, the coast can be cold again and, and kind of wet, um, you know, with the Marine layer. So it's really a unique route in, in that fact. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, my buddy, yeah, Ben DeWitt, he finished this year. He won it um, in two days, five hours, and 26 minutes, so big props to him. But I don't – I as of right now, I don't think there's any record holder. Maybe Eddie O'Day has it just because it was the fastest time. Right. But the, but I, the route has changed so much. Right. The route has
0: changed so much. And actually, I mean, yeah. it's not that they're just changing the route because of whatever land management issues. I mean, it, it's literally improving the route and trying to keep yeah. – trying to make – So you're not riding on the same road, same trails on the outbound as you're coming on the way back in. And so it's actually an improvement. And I think it'll probably take a while for once that kind of solidifies into a a known route that's really not going to change that much. Maybe we can start looking at, you know, fastest known times and records and things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think we're at that point. I think Brendan's kind of figured that out now. So, but yeah, that's uh, February, March, I believe every year. I think you've changed it up, but yeah, it's uh, pretty early. I do know that's like one of the first, uh, Races um, every year, really. It's all yeah. uh, I think. I think last year is even before the Iditarod. So, right. of the little younger brother
0: races, um, Trans North Georgia. It's a huge race here as far as bike packing, and probably actually one of the only bike pack races that and Allegheny Loop, um, Allegheny Extreme, um, are really the only two, like at least on this side of the country, that are really become like things on the calendar every year. Mm Um, trans North Georgia, 350 miles, maybe a little bit more, um, the first 150 to 200 miles taking in huge climbs, uh, the, the majority, like literally the hardest part of this race is the first 30 miles. The climbing is ridiculous. Are they? Okay. And then, um, but it's all on, you know, gravel and unimproved roads. Okay. Um, And then once you reach the midway point, which is Mulberry Gap, mountain bike getaway, kind of, um, it's Mm -hmm. right near the halfway point. You move into Dalton, which is about another 25, 30 miles from there, and then onto the Pinotti Trail, which is some rugged single track. So, the last 100 miles or more of the route is actually some pretty rugged, um, rocky single track. And so, after... Scorching your legs through the first 150 miles. You then move into some fair technical bits when you're already tired and pretty spent from the, uh, from the effort. So, um, yeah,
1: that's, that's pretty incredible considering the, the times that people are, are riding this route into. Um, I, yeah, I, I want to go out there. I've just never been able to, because August is just a tough time for, for, for traveling and, for me with work and everything like that. But yeah, that's definitely in the list. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know who won it this year. Um, I do know um, every year they have about James Dunaway, James
1: Dunaway. Okay. Um, one hour or one day, 23 hours. That's right.
0: That's right. Um, so the record sits down around 40 hours.
1: Yeah. I think and it's I've, Eddie O'Day and then there's some other guys. I couldn't find their names, but I think it's actually, one day and it, 14 hours. Yes. Or there's, like that. um,
0: Eddie and somebody else actually, and one or two other people share the record. Literally, the yeah, same they tied it in on separate, a different year. In separate yeah. years. Yes. It's <laughs> <That's> um, crazy. <laughs> um, and pretty much the only way that this time is going to come down, um, because I know all those guys had very little sleep, but they did sleep. Um, okay. Eddie, um, I think Eddie had like two or three hours and pretty much you're going to end up having to do the race without sleeping. I mean, I think that's where that, that speed is going to come yeah. down. Um, but, uh, it's a, it's quite a difficult route. Um, um, the IT, um, the, time trial, the ITT is very popular in the summers. You see a lot of people just, you know, doing it mm-hmm. for a challenge. It's also a great touring route. Um, lots of, lots of people do that route. Um, it, it's quite a big event. Um, I think last year, the start, 75 people. Uh, 65 people, yeah,
1: I so, think. Yeah, that's so. just a ton of people for for our small little bike packing community. That's yeah. awesome to see, yeah. and yeah. year after year too. And yeah. they, I think they have a wait list as well. They do.
0: They do have a wait list though. Um, a lot of people get on the wait list and then um, then bail out at the last minute. So pretty much, if you right. get on the list, you're going to be able to do the route as long as you're in there within a timely manner. I mean, I don't Got think it. if I don't think if you if you sign up for the race uh, two days before, I don't think you're probably going to get in, but. Um, right. right. Yeah, if you've signed up relatively soon, or when it, when registration first opens, which is usually over the winter of the previous year, um, mm-hmm. you know uh, you're you're fine to get into that race. <laughs> um, let's talk about some routes that may be coming up. Um, so I listened to your interview with Billy Rice, and the one thing that he, he brought up was the Pony
1: Express route. What can mm-hmm. you tell me about this? I mean, it sounds interesting. It's almost- We'd have to talk to him more. Yeah. I, not much. The only thing is I think he he's interested in um in kind of trading off Route 66 with Pony Express right. every other year, which I think is a great idea. Um keeps things fresh. But I I looked at the route and that's all I've done really. Right. Um, and I think there's there's some it's kind of on, right. It's kind yeah.
0: of it's kind of cool that there there could be a east to west or west to east route um, mm-hmm. versus the traditional, um, and this route would probably be as long as Tour Divide, I would think, as the you know. Close to yeah, yeah. So I actually like this better because it would be off road. I think there are some issues that I I don't know the the Route sixty six. I think I think it's. I, I just think it's a kind of a scary endeavor. And I understand yeah. there's nothing wrong with people willingly knowing what they're getting into and doing that, doing that route. But, um, to me, there's, there are just uh, a lot of risks
1: involved in that race. Um, but road uh, riding in general, road racing. I mean, yeah, there's just inherent risks that you don't really get as much, um, when you're riding off road. So yes,
0: yeah. Well, let's, wh- while we're, while we're talking about, it, let's, let's, let's bring up that topic. Um, there's been a few, just over the past, I mean, bike packing has been around for a while. I mean, said starting the whole thing way back with the, you know, doing the n- North to South thing. Um, mm-hmm. And now we're actually seeing, you know, race across America was, was way before that. Um, but that's yep. supported and, you know, a whole different animal. But what do you, what are, what are your opinions on like the whole road ride bike pack thing?
1: You know, I'm totally fine with it. Um, I think, you know, riding the Trans Am, I think that's a super fun race to at least watch on track leaders. Um, there's a lot of people that are into road riding. And I would probably say more people are into road riding than mountain biking. Um, yes. So that kind of fills, you know, that 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 void. Um, and it, yeah, it's just it gives, you know, it gives people opportunities to kind of feel that, you know, that bike packing race Um feeling i guess um on road um would i ever do a road ride probably not i wouldn't count it out but i would not enjoy it as much right um i don't even road ride really in general um it scares me i have to sometimes here in Butte during you know the the shoulder seasons um just cuz of snow but Otherwise I just, yeah, I don't know. It's not, uh, it's not for me, but I mean, in Europe, you know, the transcontinental race that Mike Hall puts on, um, that's kind of like a, uh, quasi bikepacking race. It's, um, it's somewhat supported. There's an entry fee. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're using bikepacking bags. It's a huge race. There's hundreds of people that do that race every year. Um, and I think he has a lot of success with that. And, uh, and I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of road riding in Europe, um, and it's spectacular out there. So that's, you know, that's another option. And then, yeah, like you said, the, the route 66 route, and then there's another route in Australia that was just introduced to me by uh, Jesse Carlson, who's putting it on called the Indian Pacific wheel race which is a 5,000 kilometer race across Australia on road. Okay. So that's something else. I mean, that doing stuff like that would be pretty cool. Um, especially on roads that are a little bit more remote. That would, that would be something I would consider, but like the trans am trail or the trans am, um, the trans am route, just, I don't know. And route 66, it just scares me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I again, I mean, I think as long as if you have a a start point and an end point, I think you're always going to have people that are going to want to race it. <laughs> I mean, that's just exactly, the way it is. Yeah. So, if that's you cool. have a route, someone's going to want to be, you know, race it or fastest known time or ITT, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be somebody that's going to want to make it competitive and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. For me, again, it's not my thing. And I probably road ride, um, probably 50% of my riding is road riding, but I also live okay. in a part of the country where, you know, we have Trails are at a premium, and so they really are protective of the trail. So if we've gotten rain or whatever that that could cause some issues with riding and oh, wow. mud, they they close the trail system because they just don't want to deal with the erosion issues that can come right. with that. So I, I I don't have a problem with it. It's probably not something that I would ever really want to do. Um, I do like it from the standpoint of like I think it's more of a pure race. I'm not a big fan of race across America because I think a lot of that comes down to – how hard your crew is willing to push you put you back on your bike when you're hallucinating and everything else. And when you're self-supported, that doesn't play into it. When you're tired, you have to stop because you have to do everything for yourself. At least I would hope that would be the case. Um, so, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic and there's, there's lots of pros and cons, but again, it's not like I'm against it. It's just not for me.
1: Yes. And then you get all these races like, um, I think race to the rock, which was Jesse put on that race as well in Australia. That's like a gravel race. totally friendly drop bar, um, type race. And that's just a little bit better because, you know, you you're on gravel, you're with road, you know, you're on, you're on roads with cars, but it's, they're few and far between. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just scares me a little bit. Yeah. Um, who do you think, uh, looking
0: across all of these guys that have done really well this year, um, you know, it seems like Jay didn't do a ton of racing in the traditional sense this year. Um, like some years, in you know, he just
1: goes race to race to race. He do, he did do some that were back to back. Yeah, he did. Uh, what he did a race in um, Italy, right? Uh, what else? He did? Route sixty six. Yeah. I feel like he did, and then he did ITI. Right. I mean. Every year he goes out and does, does stuff. Some, right, um, does something different every year, which is and it, yeah, so exactly, expensive. which is really unique. Yeah. So he's not uh, he uh, he's not taking a year off, um, or he hasn't taken a year off in a while. If you had to pick, if you had to
0: pick a ride of the year as far as a bike pack race, who would it be? Um, or what? Or what would it be? Which race? Which rider?
1: Well, it's easy to say Mike Hall just because of what he did. I mean, yeah. after we, we all broke the previous record on the Tour Divide in or 2015, he came in with a vengeance. He knew exactly what he needed to do, and he did it. Um, and if he even ran into some weather, he still would have had that record. He beat it by over 12 hours. I mean, I, actually, I think he beat it by like 20 hours. Um, so that, I think, is the most impressive because you, you deal with, you know, 2,000 plus miles, um, all that climbing, you know, day on, you know, or day after day in the saddle. So, yeah, I, my vote would go, uh, would go with him um, as of right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it, from my perspective, I would look at either – him or I would look at your, I would look at you um, for your Crawler at a Trail ride. And in mostly because um, it was an ITI, you still ended up setting the record. Um, you talk about some dealing with some stuff in the first, what, six hours of the race. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, just and having the mindset to go back and and reset everything. I think that's just, that's just really impressive. And we, and we deal with stories like that here on the last aid station before, like people that are in an NUE race or a stage race that break something and they ride to the bike shop, change it out, come back to the race, take over where they were done and still finish in the top 10. Um, it's it's just awesome. So, um, it's just a cool mindset, but from a performance, I think, um, what Mike Hall did, I think he's, I think he's finally set that record down low enough where, you have to question how it's going to be beat.
1: You're like, how can we do? Oh, exactly. That? Yeah, no, I've, I've thought of that already. And yeah, I can't, uh, I, I, yeah, I can't right now. I can't fathom anybody going any faster, uh, right. with his dedication.
0: I so. mean, because you, you have to figure out, I mean, literally you would have to, I think he's finally gotten to the point where for someone to beat it, you have to do, uh, 200 miles a day. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what it is. That's literally what it would be 200 yep. miles a day. So,
1: yeah. Um, another person, and I don't, she only raced, I think the Trans Am trail race right. this year. Um, I don't think she did anything else, but she, obviously she lives on her bike, basically, uh, Leo Wilcox. Um, and she swiped the, the win away from Stefan, um, on the Trans Am trail, in the last day, uh, which is pretty impressive, finishing in 18 days. Um, and she's just, I, I still can't understand, but she is just, I mean, she she gives all the men, you know, all the competition in the world. And I give her all the props in the world. Uh, I think it's pretty, pretty darn impressive. Um, and I'm excited to see what she does in the future because... She's got a ton of potential, and I, I know she has the the drive and right. um, motivation to uh, to keep keep these races up. So I'm excited to see what she does. Uh, Sarah Hammond, she she's super super strong rider as well. Um, and she had basically the the, the route or the the Trans Am Trail lead for a very long time at least a women's leave for a very long time until um i think she just kind of blew up she had you know she she wasn't used to these extremely extremely long races i know she was used to some of the long distance ultra races but um she yeah. yeah she did a great job and she won the race to the rock race in australia this year okay um so yeah i mean i i think in the future i i actually really hope sarah does the tour divide next year um, I think she might, I've gotten maybe word that she might. Um, cool. so that would be really, really cool to see, um, see her maybe, uh, take a, take a look at Lail's time, which I think is pretty close to un, unbeatable as well. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Lale has a, I mean, she is, she is hardcore. I mean, yep. she, you know, the, what was it last year that she did the tour divide and realized twice. That, yeah. Like she yeah. realized that I could, I could do this faster and just literally almost turned right around
1: within weeks and did it again. Yeah. yeah. Cause she saw what she, could she do knew and, she could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's impressive for sure. I think, uh, what was, I just want to look up her time real quick so I can make sure people know, but yeah, she finished the first time she finished was, 17 days basically on the button. Okay. And I think she got down to like 16 and a half or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think uh, she, I think after she would finished the first time, she just, you know, within hours was already realizing I, there, I made
1: my stops were too long. My, yeah. You know, well, she got sick too. She yeah, had like right. a, a breathing issue right. and she was in the hospital for like a half a day and being able to still finish. I yeah. mean, I, that's drive for you. It's, yeah. it's
0: awesome. Um, what riders do you see coming up that are making a name? I mean, the one thing that I – I mean, obviously, Lael. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yep. You know, Josh, uh, Cato's this year had had some bad luck. Um, yeah. You know, do you see him making some big improvements? I mean, certainly he, he has the ability
1: to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think – talking to him he's super motivated and um, he's in great shape so yeah I definitely think he I mean he showed it two years ago he's Certainly. he's a fast rider yeah. um, I'd like to see him do a few more races but I know he'd really he really enjoys doing the the tour divide and he's signed up for it three times now and I think he's gonna do it again next year okay um, so that's that's exciting and then Dylan Taylor I mean the dudes just been doing this stuff since I don't I think 2008 tour divide, Colorado trail race, Arizona trail race. Um, and then this year I think he just broke the record on that Black Hills expedition route. Okay. So Dylan, I mean, he's, he's a beast. He's been doing it for a while, but I mean, he, he's continuing to just crush it and he's not, I think he's got a regular job. So he's trying to balance all that, which is not easy. Right. Um, one name to, yeah, um, I don't
0: know. so one name to bring up and, um a name that seems it strikes everybody's fancy because they the potential is there um you know and of course you know he's been on the amazing race a couple times <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and coming from a pro cycling background you know a pro road cycling background yep. Con, uh Connor O'Leary what he hasn't had a whole lot of success he's signed up for he started the uh, divide a couple times, I think, um, has never seems to, um, make it past, say the first like seven, eight days. Um, what would you, what would you, as someone who's done it, has raced it, has finished in the top, you know, and certainly he has the potential to do that. What would you suggest to this guy on how to get better at what he wants to do?
1: I've been, been definitely watching him the past few years when I raced with him in 2015, he was definitely motivated individually, still young. I mean, he's I right. think not any younger. He's probably a little bit younger than I am. I think he might be 26. I'm 28. Yeah. Um, I would suggest not diving into one of the hardest ultra endurance races out there right away. Um, and that's kind of been my model ever since getting into these bikepacking events. I started with the Arizona 300, which is not an easy race to start with, but I did, and I finished that, and then I moved on to the Colorado Trail, and then I did – I think I did the Arizona Trail again and the Stagecoach and then just a bunch of bikepacking trips before I actually dove into the Tour Divide just so I knew that I had those legs under me. And I still got injured. I still had overuse injuries during the 2015 Tour Divide. So trying to basically – know what your body can handle, figure it out before you get out there. I think that, that would be my advice to him, but I mean, he's, he's got that. Yeah. He's got a, a that collegiate road racing, um, background. He's got the, I guess the mindset. I don't, I've never watched the amazing race. So I don't really know no. what it's all about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What, what they probably show on the amazing race is probably
0: not what it's really all about, but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, it makes makes for good TV. Well, it's all about TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, um, I'm curious. You know, as we um, as we kind of start to close out um, this episode, just as as a discussion, do you think we're taking this bike pack racing thing a little too seriously? Um, Ultra has kind of grown. Um, Ultra running, for example, as Kind of something that's kind of we're not modeled after, but it's very similar in the way, you know, people approach it and, and specialize in it and things like that has kind of grown organically, albeit it doesn't have um doesn't have a ton of money. I mean, as shoe manufacturers are probably likely the only people that are going to really want to sponsor a racer or something like that, Um, you know, and the equipment that we as cyclists have is much different than theirs. But we jumped straight from as bike pack racers, jumped straight from a a meetup on um, a bulletin board that said this is what our route's going to be and this is the race it's going to be and this is the day we're leaving, to full blown websites with you know tons of social media presence and sponsors even out there. Do you think we're going a little too fast, or is it just like a sign of the times because of better social media and stuff like that?
1: Um. I think it's kind of like anything. It's like I put it as – a a good example is uh, the bag manufacturers out there right now. I can't keep up. There there are so many bag manufacturers that are just popping up left and right. There's like no way to keep up. Um, And unfortunately, I – don't think all of them will survive. And I, I say the exact same about bike pack races. Um, and there's some awesome routes, some awesome races, some awesome people that are putting these on. But that being said, I don't think all of them will survive mainly because there's just not a ton of us, um, or at least a ton of us that want to do this, the, the racing. There's a lot of bike packers out there, but there's not a lot of bike pack racers. Right. And, um, to have probably a hundred bike packing events in the world right now, um, there's just not enough people to fill fill the the rosters on those. So I think what we'll see in the future is we'll see a bunch of races that will, um, you know, that will still, you know, hold, you know, like the Colorado Trail, the Arizona Trail, Tour Divide, Stagecoach, all those. They're going to be awesome. They're, you know, people are going to want to race them because. They have a ton of information on them, you know, a lot of race reports, a lot of people that have experienced it. And then you get these races like, I can't even think of anything right now. Maybe like the, like the trans North California, that's such an awesome race. But year after year, there's hardly anybody that is actually racing it. Um, So that's kind of, I don't know. It's just like, what are people doing? Like you have to, you have to watch that and, and see, and like, The Comstock Epic, which is an awesome race, I raced it this year, and the Trans North California, awesome race. They should just be one. Um, It could be really cool. You could do like a short version and a long version or something like that. But I don't know. It's... I'm not one to say what's going to actually happen. I'm just, I have my opinions and
0: yeah, I I, opinions I, I notice it more from, and obviously if it's, if it's happening this year on the manufacturer side, it's been more than just this year um, because, you know, it takes them forever to come out with stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's design and yeah. marketing and things like that. But you, you see top manufacturers now making, for example, well, as you brought up bike bags, um, yep. you know, you don't, you know, now have, um, uh, Topeak making bike bags and you have like major designers, specialized, making, uh, specialized, right.
1: right. Arkell, yeah. all these, these manufacturers that are doing like paneer, uh, racks and paneers and That's all right. this stuff and getting into the bike packing scene. Yeah. I mean, it's going to affect the small businesses in this community, um, which is a shame because there's some manufacturers out there that are doing a really awesome job. And getting these bigger names in there. I mean, the, most of us, I, I, I would say, most bike packers just they understand the how. How can I say? it? I guess most most veteran bike packers understand the small business side of this um, bike packing industry, the the small bag manufacturers, right. and they they'll support those those guys, but people that are getting into it they're gonna easily just buy like oh there's a specialized bag available i'm gonna buy that because i have a specialized bike or right um yeah or oh i've used um Ortlid bag uh before i'm just gonna move over to their bike packing bags yeah. whether they're good or not they're people are gonna do that so i always my my whole thing is i urge people to buy local so say you live in durango colorado go to bedrock bags. Say you live in Anchorage, go to revelate. Say you live in Calgary, buy from porcelain rocket. That's, that's what I stand for.
0: Cool. While we're still talking about a little bit about equipment, um, what's the, if you had a pick and you know, with manufacturers now targeting, um, somewhat bike packing, and it doesn't have to be something that was necessarily bike pack specific, but what is the one thing that you've seen come out this year? Electronics, bags, specific bikes, clothing, um, that you think could is going to make a huge difference. It's not that it's just nice, but it's actually starting a little bit of a trend that may make a difference in bike pack racing.
1: Oh man, that is tough. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, tell you what, while you think about it, I'm going to, I'll mention the one thing that I think is going to make a difference. Um, and okay. I think it is, and it probably wasn't even designed with bike packing in mind, but I think the one thing that I've seen, you know, there's plenty of nice bags coming out. You know, the electronics are always on a trend to con- continue make improvements and those are always going to happen. But I think the one thing in the big jump is Eagle. And I'm not saying that mm. because I'm necessarily a SRAM guy, but I'm saying because you've got now have this big, a big difference between your lowest and your, know, your tallest and your smallest cog, man, I think that makes a bigger difference in being able to haul a bike that typically weighs 30 pounds more than what you typically ride on, um, XC. And so you have a bigger gear range to choose from. You'd be off your bike more, um, maybe spinning at a better cadence, um, having higher speeds because you have that bigger, um, and to, to do that, I think for racing, that makes, I think that is going to be a huge difference. Now, I think because that's out there, I think other manufacturers, Shimano, uh, what have you are going to quickly follow suit and do very similar things or at least improve their compatibility. But I think yeah. that for this year, that's the one thing I think is going to make a big difference.
1: Um, I would have to agree with you on that. I, since I've been riding my, um eagle this year the xo eagle i got it in august i actually planned on riding it for the colorado trail but they uh they were backed up uh getting their chains manufactured um they didn't have enough chain templates or whatever it was to so but yeah i mean just my short time on it um past like four months it's uh it's definitely a game changer um so I think that's that's a a great um, yeah I think that would that will help out a lot I mean I think it makes a, I think at, for bikepacking,
0: it actually makes a much bigger difference um, especially oh, if doing does. the racing thing than it does on the XC side of things because let's face yep. it XC uh, a loop XC race um, you're, you're you not crank gonna, out, you're yeah. not going to need that big window and even if you yep, do exactly. there, it's a short climb you know two three minutes and you're back off it again so. I think it makes. I think that makes a huge difference.
1: No, when I heard about that, I was like, I need to get the eagle right away. Um, yeah, for me, you know, I I don't have anything really specific. Um, I think one thing that's really cool that a lot of bag manufacturers are doing are making these smaller race specific bags. Um, not only is this going to obviously you know keep the weight down, but it it actually keeps the amount of stuff you carry off your bike. So for example, you have a smaller handlebar bag and, um, you have, you know, and next to you, you have all the stuff that you want to carry on your race or for your race. What doesn't fit in that bag that's next to you. You're just going to have to leave. Um, which is kind of an interesting like dynamic. Like that's when you start weighing, all right, When do I feel, you know, comfortable or when do I feel a little bit vulnerable when I'm racing? Uh, When I'm racing, I definitely like, I want to have everything I need, but at the same time, I want to be like, all right, what can I drop as far as weight's concerned? Um, So like saddlebags and handlebar bags, all these things are like going Cuban fiber, super lightweight and, and, um, and then super small, like three, four, five liters of capacity, So that's something that I think we'll see a lot more of uh, a lot more people riding with. Um, I rode with a bunch of specific small um, bags this year and I don't think bag manufacturers are marketing to racing rather. They're just marketing them to like, you know, day use or uh, long, long races, like long day races or something. big, Epic
0: adventure kind of day. Yeah. Day, day ride
1: with your buddies, you know, for 10 hours or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another really cool piece of technology, and I'm uh, gonna—I think I'm gonna write an article on this today—is the Gaia app. And it's not necessarily awesome for just bike pack racing, but I think it's just great for bike packing. Um, it's basically just an app on your phone, and it—it's a GPS, and you can download a track, put it on your phone and your phone acts as a GPS. And I don't know if there's other programs like this out there. I'm sure there are, but this one you can download, um, the map off your, you know, if you don't have service, you can just download the map with like topo lines and it has water sources. But the cool thing is it's like a community. So you can like upload your track to it and like see what other bike packers have done. Um, and they like take photos and you can take photos. I don't know. It's Super cool! I just got back from a trip in Utah this weekend, and I made this route um, outside of the San Rafael Swell, and I made this route 100 percent on my phone, and I followed it on my phone, and it was it was amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, just technology and things are changing. I think we'll see a lot in the coming years here. I'm I'm excited. Cool. Yeah.
0: Well, Neil, as we wrap this up, tell us where we can find you. Um, we've been. Just so you know, folks, um Neil is actually thinking about maybe continuing doing the Bike Packer podcast a little bit, at least yeah. as we get into the off season. Um, but coming up maybe a slightly different approach, maybe um a little bit more of um including how to get involved in it and all the specific questions and answering questions about you know, equipment and things like that. And so it's it's gonna be a slightly different than what he was doing in the past, but Um, having Neil with all the knowledge on mountain bike radio, um, it's always a good thing as you've heard today. Um, but where can we find you, Neil? What's, what's going on? Yeah, So
1: if you, so basically I am going to, I'm going to start bike packer radio up again and it's going to be kind of question based. It's kind of going to be like just riding along with, um, I know they do it like they answer a bunch of questions and then they cuss a lot. I'm not going to cuss a lot. Um, (laughs) but, uh, they, uh, they have a great, Plan or they have a, like a great model and I, I want to kind of follow that a little bit. So if you have any specific bike packing questions, whether it be nutrition, um, med kit, repair kit, bags, bikes, tires, routes, anything, um, shoot me an email at neil at bikepacker.com. Um, you can also head to mountain bike radio and, and, and even shoot them, shoot Ben a, uh, a contact there. Uh, and also head over to bikepacker.com. You can shoot, uh, go to the sc- scroll all the way down to the bottom and fill out a contact page and, um, share your questions there. But, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that started hopefully this week. Um, if not this weekend, I'll do my first real episode of, uh, of bikepacker radio. Um, the new version, 2.0. Cool. Yeah. Um, and one other thing I want to talk about, Mark. Yes. Uh, um, I don't know, but we, we didn't talk about this. And it was It was interesting that you missed it, but have you heard of the Trans Am Trail Race? Or no. actually, it's now called the American Trail? No. So it travels from North Carolina to Oregon all off-road, off-pavement. Uh... Now I know that I
0: knew there were there were routes out there mostly for the the um that that have been, that have actually existed for years that weren't necessarily cycling specific but were like the enduro motorcycle yeah, specific. Exactly. And, yeah.
1: So this route basically follows that that mo- moto route um with the exception of a few sections that Billy Rice and myself are um are working on. I was out in Utah like I said kind of scouting some sections. Um, and Billy has been doing some, some work on the East coast. So it's, it's going to be pretty darn cool cause it's going to be 5,000 plus or it's going to be about 5,000 miles. Um, it's going to probably take 30 days. Um, and I'm still contemplating doing it or not because I don't know if my body can handle that long of racing. Right. Um, so, yeah, but that's that's on the radar. We're on Facebook right now um, at American Trail, and we are – Billy's getting a website together. I think it's going to be called americantrailrace.com. I don't think it's up yet. Okay. But, um, yeah, that's something to look out for. It's going to be a June 1st start date. In okay. North Carolina. Sweet.
0: And I've actually, I've actually, when riding in the mountains here in North Carolina, I've actually run across guys on enduro motorcycles, you know, with big panniers and yep. you know, they're pretty much like, they're like souped up motocross bikes, you know, big heavy exactly. motocross bikes um, doing that route and, you know, talking to them and like, yeah, it's going to take us three weeks to do it on motorcycles. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Right.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be nutty.
0: Yeah. It's going to, yeah. That's, uh, keep us posted because we definitely yeah. will definitely follow that
1: absolutely awesome. we will well
0: neil thank you very much for joining us on the last aid station i um, glad to have you back on the air so to speak um, me too and um feels good hoping for big success for you um especially as you change your model and going more in a in a direction like of of you know helping out the new riders in addition to all the the great points of for veteran riders that you have on your website so absolutely So, again, listeners, thank you very much for joining us on Last Aid Station here on Mountain Bike Radio. I'm Mark. If you would like to get in touch with me, it's uh, mark at mountainbikeradio.com. Or uh, check us out on Facebook, The Last Aid Station, um, or Twitter, which is just at Last Aid Station. So, thank you again for joining us, and I'll see you soon at a race near you. Take care.